Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Terry, how are you? Uh, yeah, fine. How are you, Chris? <laughs> I'm honoured, my love, that after, you know, our paths have sort of crossed on the on the bookosphere because we've both got, got books out there. And I know that we've chatted on and off for, for years. I don't know if that's through Instagram or, 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 or what. And to finally meet you and also <laughs> to, to chat to someone who's got a sort of... Uh, can I say a banged up abroad type story? That's that's great. <laughs> I mean, that's where I live my life is to meet excite. You know, okay, I, I I guess it wasn't exciting at the time, but um, it's not your run of the mill story, is it? No, no, it's um, yeah, it's been a <laughs> quite an horrific journey from start to finish. Yeah, um, makes and- obviously good reading. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, we should point out from the beginning that you were innocent, which makes it more of, I mean, yeah. a lot of the banged up abroads, they just, they did it, didn't they? And, and um, mm. um, but but in your case, you were, you were not so much stitched up, but you were in bad, can we say bad company? Yeah, um, I, th- I think it was, um, it, it, I think like anything abroad is, is, a different ball game altogether. I, I've I've heard so many stories. It's, it's shocking, and I still to this day are getting stories coming out of people waiting eight years for um, like sentences to go through on on silly little crimes that only carry a two year jail sentence, and 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 they're literally waiting eight years to be brought to sentence. And and the fact is that you are guilt by association so even if you're not committing the crime just because you're with somebody who's committing a crime you're gonna be be judged and you are going to be um tried in a court with with no with no um innocent or or guilty plea put in Mm -hmm. no it's a total different ball game over there um and to have quite large chunks of your life taken from you and stolen from you um it's it's quite um yeah, it's quite nerve wracking, really. Even to this day, today I've had a message from somebody who's still awaiting a trial eight years on of something that was very, very trivial. Yeah, it, even in this country, they, you probably wouldn't even get a sentence for it. So yeah. yes, in and, this, and a, I was just going to say, Terry, in this country they've got this. What's the bloody PPR? Uh, the the order where they can keep you in jail indefinitely. It coming under that under Blair. Oh, um, oh, uh, well, I can't think now. The name, um, the name slips my mind, but I know that that Pepsi Watson w- was on it, and they've just recalled him for absolutely nothing. He didn't. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it's um, so when you come out here in Britain, because obviously I was released back in the UK. Um, yeah, you come out on a prison license, so yeah, you can get recalled at any time on that license for any trivial thing that you're doing yeah. um, and then of course there are like the first second and third strike so a third strike you still get lifed off and you'll get lifed at a three-year sentence and then yeah they won't let you out until they feel fit that you are allowed to come out so yeah it's um but the the prison license is tough 
like really tough. Yeah. Yeah, no, the it, one Pepsi's on is just it's just evil. Sorry for friends watching. Someone put it below in the comments what we're talking about. So if anyone wants is annoyed or wants to know, you can just look in the comments. But it's um, God, the poor bloke was in tears and they were they were tearing him from his I think from his girlfriend's house. And if you know Pepsi, it's really hard to put the two and the two together to justify what you're seeing. It's just horrible. Yeah. He's a really really nice guy. He's, he's he does so much for other people. And he's, it's like he's harmless. Um, yeah. But back to your story, t- Terry, sorry. So what was it like then rocking up in Tenerife as a, as a young woman? It, it, it sounds a bit idyllic. Oh, well, I first went to Tenerife when I was 15 years old. And the first, as soon as I stepped off that plane, I was like, oh, I want to live here. This is great because Veronica's was huge back then. It was like a hundred bars and discos all topped on top of one another. It was jam packed down there. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was just the life basically on this lovely like island with sun 24 7 and then all these clubs and yeah and I remember walking down there the first night obviously with my mum and dad then because yeah I was quite young and um I just thought yeah I want to be this I, I want I want to live here so yeah and obviously it took me quite a while to move out there um and yeah I think I was about 22 when I, I eventually went but we'd gone on holiday every year running up to that me moving there and um, yeah, it, it's just a dream come true, really, to be working in sort of an idyllic situation. Yeah, it's. It, I think it's. I I've, I think there can't be a lot of children that don't cross their minds that they want to travel at some point in their life and just go away and work in either sort of like Ibiza and all them sort of areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm. I've, yeah, it was. It is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I- it's the heat that hits you getting off the plane, oh. isn't it? That's oh, yeah, and it's been freezing here again. <laughs> yeah, this time last year in lockdown, I was very brown. It was very warm, and this year has been miserable. Yeah, so we've we've been in this awful predicament again. But the weather's been bad, and of course, um, it's funny, you know, because two years ago today it was the last time I was in Tenerife for my birthday. Um, so um, I, I called over there today to say to him, I haven't seen you for two years. I've not been back in this island for two years. <laughs> like, oh. I've had six holidays cancelled. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I'm stuck in miserable Britain. And all I want to do is feel that heat when I walk off that aeroplane. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, oh, it's it, it, even in the winter, sort of like for us, it got colder. But yeah, it's still warm. Oh, yeah, still. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, it's um, it's it's one of them. If you like the sun, yeah. What, oh, what what's the first sort of job you did over there? Because I know you did some of this bar bar promotion work. That's the work. Yeah. So when sort of when I first got there, it was all very much the hype and being in the thick of it. Um, and so yeah, I was a um like a PR down on Veronica's. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that was my first sort of job um, before sort of like it all went wrong. And then after sort of that sort of after the problem, that's when I got proper jobs. So, yeah, so the first sort of 
year was all about the party scene, and that's where it was. Fick in Veronica's being a PR, yeah, earning absolutely nothing, but not giving a care in the world. We were having great fun, yeah. So well, a thousand potatoes a night, if that, if that. But still, we were loving life, yeah, loving it. What what year was it? So we can all, yeah. Um, so dial it in. I moved there in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, yeah, so that was a, this yeah. is after the sort of dance era in the U. Well, not after, but yeah, it was just no. Done. Yeah, it was. It it, it yeah. was still in. It was still in full flow, though, wasn't it? In '96, it wasn't. It um, wasn't like my first sort of party. My first rave. I think I went to in 1990, 1991, because yeah. I started. To, yeah, I started work at the sanctuary at, in 1992. Um, yeah, so I was I was thick in the rave scene, absolutely in it up to about here. So um, yeah, I was um, an Exodus girl. Um, so I was in the free party scene before I went into the the, the sort of more clubbier scene of the sanctuary. Um, but yeah, I, I was in the thick of it. And are these these names that you're saying are they in in Tenerife or are they in in? Oh, they're they're back here in the UK. Okay. Exodus was the illegal party scene from Luton. Which right. was the original free parties. They were the movement that 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 put the people out in the party scene. And then after that was the big sanctuary, which was in Milton Keynes, which was a purpose-built rave for yeah, yeah, for just it, where it held over three thousand people. And oh, it was brilliant. Oh, and, and they ripped it down. <laughs> Worst thing ever did was was took our sanctuary away. But they literally purpose-built this warehouse for raves. Yes. Um, so I got a job behind the bar, so I got paid to rave, really. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, love that job. <laughs> and then sort of when I moved to, to Tenerife, it was still that, sort, but not that rave scene. It was more of the a sort of handbaggy garage sort of mood. Yeah. To move yeah. Was yeah, it like yeah. a lot of sort of Euro dance, like um, Corona, Rhythm of the Night and... Yeah, um, all them sort of, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was a 19, yeah, 1996, 97 sort of, um, that sort of era of not, not sort of the, the bouncy rave, um, like happy hardcore. So you moved on and it, yeah, it was more the party sort of club scene, mm. but, but more, more garagey sort of, um, yeah, it wasn't as hard. I don't think there was anywhere in Tenerife apart from a little club, which is, more Spanish orientated that had more of that sort of music, but not not the heavy rave scene that was back in the UK. Yeah, no. got you. So I was on IB for a, a few years ago, and my God, let's just <laughs> let's just say anything that you wanted to buy, <clears throat> cough cough, was just everywhere. It wasn't you. You just asked any taxi driver, right? And then mm. not only did he. You know, did they buy it like like that? But also, um, it was top notch stuff. Especially as everything in the UK had been pants for years by, mm. by this stage, right? So, was that the same in Tenerife? Was I'm guessing there was a lot of lot of mules coming coming yeah. there from? Oh, um, sort of. So when when I was back in the UK in, in the rave scene, obviously, yeah, I I, I was doing sort of more of the ecstasy. And the the um, the amphetamine um, and a couple of the acids. So it was more more of the sort of the the rave scene as such. Um, 
and yeah, and it was only when the pills got really bad when Leah Betts died that I decided, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> so they, they were very clean. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it all become very scary for me because somebody died. It was like, no, I'm not doing them anymore. So um, yeah, I, I can't remember the last time I did what I, I think it must have been, what, 1991, 92. And I never touched one since. She died, basically. But when sort of like in Tenerife, I can't remember ever being a lot of pills being about. I, I, I can't, but there was a hell of a lot of cocaine. It was more, it was more your party scene for cocaine than what it was. Then I, I can't remember there being any amphetamine over there or acid or, but there probably was. And there probably was ecstasy. But um, it was more about the cocaine. Yeah. And how was all this coming to the island? Um I mean, I'm looking at the geography now. It, it it is kind of a direct hop from South America, isn't it? Um, yeah. Well, when obviously me and Antonio went to Brazil on this holiday, where he came back with the cocaine, we you cannot fly direct from um, sort of Tenerife to Brazil. So we had to go into the Canary Islands. We had to hop over into the Canary to go on the holiday. So, but then usually what happens is because when I found out in the prisons in mainland Spain is when they're coming from South America to um, it's Amsterdam, the run, they drop into Madrid to refuel. And that's where most of the drugs get caught is in Madrid. Um, so that's where it's coming into from South America and then obviously goes out into the islands. Um, but that's the main sort of drop off. Is, is into the mainland, not not the Canary Islands as such. I'm not sure the ins and outs of it all onto the island of what and um, how it all gets in there, but obviously it does. <laughs> but I'm not sure. I, I it's I suppose they have all their little mules that bring it in and out, um, like Antonio. Um, but then it's it it was always bigger than him. It, he was not he's not the big boy, so no. Mm. Mm. Did I gather a, a hint from your book? Did, had you got into, can we just say, into trouble with coke, or was it just? Oh God, yeah, yeah. I, I got quite a bit of a habit by then. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's um, it's quite an easy one to get into a habit with. To be honest with you, yeah. yeah. Um, like like with ecstasy and amphetamine, it was always about the party. Um, it was always touch and go. So it was always a weekend thing. Whereas in Tenerife, it's twenty four seven. You, you literally because you're in the thick of it and in a party yeah and it's there all the time because and because you have to it's it's like the dutch courage as we used to call it and the fact is that yeah long working nights and it's it's just part and parcel of of, of the job out there well obviously not all of them <laughs> but a lot of them yeah yeah so yeah, yes I get it. when yeah. i lived when i lived in hong kong when i was addicted to crystal meth it, it it you could go you could go i mean i wouldn't go out of the house till sometimes four in the morning yeah go downtown meet all my mates that all be in the club and it's like right and we just start dancing and uh, yeah yeah um, yeah within tenerife it's yeah it were most of the nightlife doesn't start till 9 10 11 o'clock at night and and you can still go literally all the way through yeah, it's um, it's a bit like Ibiza, really, in the height of the summer. That's just literally part party, party, party. So, um, but yeah, um, I I think this is why I was under the assumption that you were 
somewhere from like America zone because obviously we don't have crystal meth here. Thank God, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not really our shores. I um yeah, it's it's quite um yeah. Oh, thank God it hasn't really hit Britain. Yeah, because it is. Oh it's, gosh, it's, yes. I'm, it's I'm, it's another ball game altogether. Um, there's 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 sort of addictions, and then there's that there's that one. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and and it, it wears me out thinking about it. To be honest with you, um, yeah, it's um, I'm I'm just glad it's never got here as much, really. Um, yeah, I I I, I honour you for what you've come through, because yeah, that's hard work, very hard. Yeah, it, well, it's really kind you say. Um, I just should point out for people listening, so we don't all get confused. Is like my battle was with addiction. It was a mental health condition. Yeah. The party lives that that was the good. Well, wasn't always good, and people died. But you know that wasn't the issue. I'm I, for the most part had a great time, or at least thought I was having a great time. Met amazing people and learned massive amounts about myself that I was basically told I was a failure at in in school. So my um my challenge, Terry. I don't know how well you relate to this. It was like coming from a traumatized childhood yeah i was naturally predisposed to want to bury this trauma and of course if you give me a substance whether it's chocolate coffee that coffee was my first addiction it was coffee yeah. at, at 10 years old I used to yeah. run home from school to put the kettle on for a coffee i didn't yeah. know why i did that obviously looking back it was my first you know m- me trying to bury this yeah yeah, yeah. but um I'm not. I'm not quite sure why I was trying to bury nothing really. Well, I was later on, um, but I think the initial. But I, I, I think with the party drugs, it it wasn't about getting addicted to it. It wasn't about taking thousands of pills every day because that wasn't how it was, and you couldn't have done that back then anyway. Mm. It was all about the party at the weekend, and it was all about just going out and having fun. And the music and and just feeling the love because it was the oh my god the rave I, I I won't tell that about Freddie I, I love I still like to go out to raves um just not they're not as sort of like what they were back then but um I still love the music I still uh, it's all about the music it was never it was never about the drugs and the, it was more about the people in in the park because you, you will never take them memories away from the park never. <laughs> Oh, I've got some, yeah, wonderful memories of my raving days. But that wasn't that wasn't an issue then. And I never took drugs then to escape. I think I took drugs then because it was more of a curiosity thing. And the fact is that I had to stay awake all night. And part and parcel with the it went with that. If it, it so it wasn't, I don't know. But it was later on that I used substances to numb the pain, basically. Basically, of what I was going through with the trials and the what my dad's death and it was all different things like that so that and that was when the darker days come in but the original even in Tenerife the first sort of time that I was with it there and doing little bits and bobs it, it was it was quite fun it was only till later that I realized oh dear yeah I, I might have a little bit of a problem here but then with your that addiction with crystal meth because I, I will say, I, I remember being at a drug meeting when we first come out of prison 
and there was a little lad there and he he tried it <laughs> and his his words were i had to go back on the crack because i felt like i've been raped and that was that really and i was like oh okay right we'll move along the bus then so yeah it's i think it's a totally different ball game <laughs> so but then all addictions are addictions but this one i i even i get worn out thinking about how I cope mm. with it. So, yeah, I, I hold my hands up to you every day. Because, uh, yeah, I don't think I'd probably have got through that one. No, no. I should, I should point out as well, just to keep us all grounded, that uh, it, it, it was the alcohol was the... Oh, God. Alcohol was the way, way worse. The, <laughs> the, I should be honest about the meth. I completely lost my mental. You know, I, 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 I literally mm. went... I was phasing in and out of psychosis... And the bad periods of psychos were really bad. I mean, I was walking down the street talk, talking to myself and, you know, yeah, I, imagining I, I, that that guy was talking to me. So I'd go and talk to him. And, of course, he'd look at me going, who, who the frick are you? So yeah. that, I, I, I've seen videos of people on it, obviously, because I've seen documentaries, but I've never personally ever come into contact because, as I said, it, it's not here but alcohol, yes, I'm glad you brought because obviously alcohol is my biggest issue. Alcohol for me, oh my good, and, and and I can just go out of my house and get it. So yeah, yeah. That, that for me has been my biggest problem because it's everywhere and and it, it's yeah. Oh God, say I do dread to think how much I drank in Tenerife. I really, I, I to this day, I'm surprised I come home or my liver came home with me. To be honest with you, but but alcohol is yeah, it's it's hard work. Yeah, I yeah, I, yeah very just, hard. Um, you know, we're in a mental health. Let's call it what it is. It's an epidemic in this country. There's so oh. many unhappy people. Oh. Well, Everything yeah. that's just gone on is going to make it so much. I mean, people have just been drinking all day long in their houses, and and it's. I'm not pointing this out to upset anyone. I'm pointing out to tell you the truth. As a substance misuse specialist, yeah, the worst thing we worked with was the alcohol. Everything else causes so much chaos that you just you have to give it up. You know, yeah, you can yeah. only be clinically insane for so long before yeah. you have to have a, you have to have a word with yourself, right? Or, but the alcohol is so it's so, it's legal. Everybody pushes it on you. No one recognize. Very few people recognize the danger. So it's like go and have another one when when it's destroying you, your family, and your children are being neglected, uh, uh, you know, or, or or physically or mentally abused, and your mates are still going go and have another one. Yeah. And in the end, I used to say, yeah, I'll have another. Just could you phone my missus and just check that's all right, and then they'd go, oh all right, yeah, I get it, sorry, sorry. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's fucking, you, you're not, you're thinking about you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, not me. Well, to be fair, I should have realised that, yeah, I would have had issues with alcohol. Well, not not that, see, my mum and dad were very, very good with it, that they, they let me drink in front of them. Um, it was never hiding away, but I remember getting drunk for the very first time and I was on a twinning in Labrooks here and I was only 14, my... <laughs> And um, I snuck two bottles of wine off and drank the whole lot, and I nearly died. My mum found me up in a forest being sick, um, and that was my first alcohol experience. Now, really, I should have realised then, but, yeah, possibly not, not not for me. Maybe I should knock it on the head. Um, and that was as young as that age, 
But then back then we were binge, huge, huge binge drinkers. Oh my goodness, it was it was massive, massive binge drinking at the weekends. Um, and yeah, it, but I can't ever say that my mum and dad didn't teach me about alcohol because they did actually let me drink with them and in front of them so it wasn't a fact that yeah I was hiding in a corner in a hedge um but obviously back then I still didn't have very very strict ways with alcohol at all no no and I've seen more damage done through my life with 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 families through alcohol totally totally yeah. but but this, this pandemic has sent everybody See the thing is, Chris. I when when I went through all my trouble in the in the time the fourteen years I had my issues um, with with everything. I was all by myself on the prison bus. Nobody else was going through what I was going through. Nobody knew what I felt. But this time, everybody's on the bus with me, and everybody knows how we're all feeling. And now they're all turning into alcoholics because they couldn't cope. So maybe they'll realise why I went round the wrong way because this is how. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's quite frightening. It, life's all about the journey, and life was all about what happened to me. Um, and yeah, just as I thought I got it right, yeah, something else has come and yeah, dropped it all out. So yeah. Yeah, it, it it had to be brought up as as much as anything because yeah, this this has been another lock 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 well locked up locked down or anything really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course, of course, it's got deeper implications for you, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh, and everybody because everybody said to me, "Oh God, you'll know this. You've been in prison for three and a half years." Uh, no, <laughs> let's not think about that. Let's think about the fact that this has brought back terrible memories of me being stuck back in a cell. Um, I think I think that people don't realise this. Um, yeah, three and a half years, long time to be in a prison. And and then for me to be enforced into a situation again here, of which, yeah, it's been very similar to being back in prison. Back to your story. <laughs> yeah. So you've met this guy. Yeah. And you've gone to Brazil. You thought you were going on a trip and his wife couldn't make it. And... On, was it in Madrid that they pulled you? No, it was in Gran Canaria because, as I said, we were living in Tenerife at the time. And so to get to Brazil, we had to fly via fly, uh, Gran Canaria. So it's only a short flight from Tenerife. So it's only about 20 minute flight. So from Gran Canaria to Brazil. So it's dropping into Gran Canaria Airport that his bags got stopped. Yeah. Wow. And that moment, it, 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 Again, from reading your book and, and the magazine articles, it it's it sounds like an episode of Banged Up Abroad when the 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 coat yeah. goes everywhere. Um, yeah, it, it was in my life. Yeah, it was well, everything was perfect, and within seconds, my life just went yeah upside down. Within seconds, I went from being this carefree young girl living in Tenerife, having the time of my life. To being a frightened fugitive, basically, yeah, uh, and I, I'd never been arrested before, <laughs> and the, to be arrested in an airport with with a lot of drugs, with guns to heads, and and people shouting at me in Spanish, yeah, it was like a movie, like a surreal. It's like I'd stepped into an episode or a film, but I was in it, and yeah, I didn't want to be in it. Yeah, it was horrible. It was it was surreal. Very surreal that, yeah, you're, at one given time, your life can change in seconds. 
So in that moment, did it become blindingly obvious what had happened or were you sort of in shock or in denial or, or did um, you realise this guy had, had, was trying to Im import gear and, and now you, he'd been caught and you were tied into it with him? Yeah, um, so what happened was our bags were both checked. Obviously, they checked mine, nothing in it, and then they checked his. And the first one, they were fine. The second one, obviously, they got a bit suspicious of them. They were it, it, doing this and... Then they took him into the back room and left me outside with my trolley, with the trolley. And the next thing I know, that's when obviously they discovered the false bottom in it. And that's when they pulled me into the room. And that's when, yeah, and that, and I walked in and I was thinking, what the hell's going on in here? And, and, and that, then I knew something obviously wasn't right. And that's when they'd obviously discovered the four key coke was in the bottom and it was flying everywhere. Absolutely. Because they were trying to shovel it into bin bags. And um, that's when I realised. But then because I was so young and so very silly and naive, and then Antonio was shouting at him and then shouting at me saying, no, no, it's fine, fine. She, nothing to do with it. No, me, I'm, it was all about, it. And so he was trying to tell me, don't worry, because like, you, I'm going to tell them you're not involved. I'm going to tell them to let you go and it'll be all over. So then I was sat there thinking, well, yeah, I haven't got nothing to do with it. So it's all his, so I won't get arrested. I'll be fine. I'm just going to walk out and go home and everything's going to be all right. And then as it slowly, they locked me in a cupboard for hours, of which I was jet lagged. So I, I must have fallen asleep in there. Then they pulled me out and questioned me like three or four questions, which weren't very well translated at all. Um, then they put me back in the cupboard and then they brought me back out of the cupboard. And that's when they put the handcuff. Oh, sorry. That's all right. There oh, we go. Yeah. Yeah, um, then they put the handcuffs on me and that's when I sort of knew, oh, something wrong here. Um, and they put my coat over the top of it to, to make it <laughs> so that I didn't look like I'd been arrested, but then I was surrounded by quite a civil officers and, yeah, it didn't look quite sort of the part. So then they, they took me up to the local police station in, in Gran Canaria and then it hit me in there and, and then I knew I was in a lot of trouble and I could not stop crying. And it, was, it wasn't until that moment that I knew something wasn't right. And then when we got took down the following morning, because we, we were took to court, me and Antonio, they put us in a cell together. And that's when I said to him, what the hell's going on? And he said, no, 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 it's fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure you don't ever go to prison. And that um, I'm going to tell him who I work for. It's fine. I will always look after you. But this is Spain. <laughs> Antonio, this is Spain. <laughs> You're not going to protect me because they don't care <laughs> i'm with you and that's all that matters and that was it really and that's the last time i really saw him i saw him at court the following year um and um yeah and i because none of it was translated to me it, i was only in there for an hour with him were and you, he, were, terry were you having a sort of affair with him or oh you? no 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 okay. he, he was um yeah Antonio for me was more like a father figure. I'd known Antonio for years before moving out there because obviously um, I, I'd been out there lots of summers before um, and I worked for a month, a couple of years running up to moving out there just to get a feel for it. So I knew him 
quite well. And at that time, I was missing the family a little bit. And my dad, he was a lot older than me. And yeah, I used to go up there and talk to him quite a lot. But then he always had the drugs. So yeah, it was um, more of a... He's, he's, can we say he's used you, isn't he? Because he didn't want to be going for an airport on his own. It would have looked obvious. No, that's what he said to me. But then again, we didn't look quite the part, really, because, yeah, I was was quite young and he was quite older. So really, yeah, we didn't quite fit the bill. So, no, I, I, I think... Yeah, obviously, they have their own mindset of thinking about how they traffic drugs. And obviously, when you swallow, it's a different ball game. But when you're carrying in bags, yeah, they try and take a mule or not a mule with them, but an, an accomplished with them so that it looks a little bit easier going through. But then I don't know if it was all explained to him because every bag from South America gets checked. So I don't know whether he thought, like in Heathrow, we were going through nothing to declare or declare. Whereas, no, when you're coming back from South America, every bag gets checked. But I don't know in this country, because I've never flown to South America from Britain, so I don't know what the procedure is here. I don't know, because I've never come for an airport here from that far. Yeah. But I, well, I, I know... A lot, a lot of it's done on intelligence, though, isn't yeah. it? They, yeah. they know already who they're yeah. going to search, because and, and in some countries, it's all corrupt. They're, they um, literally... some They'll take <laughs> 10 drug mules knowing nine of them they're going to let through because they're getting a backhander and the one that they, they they're like a sacrificial lamb because if they grab the one it looks like they're doing their job yeah well they I always... know they know who it's going to be so so when you when you get sent on this job the people in the airport already know before you've even like got on the yeah. plane that when you come back it's going to be that person it, this is what i gather from the banged up abroad programs anyway yeah. Yeah, I, I I think with Antonio, because obviously um, he he worked for two police officers and a judge, right? So he, he was under the assumption that he was just one, he was going straight through and, and, and nobody was going to blink an eyelid at him. Um, but the cocaine that he was carrying was 50% base. It was absolute pure crap, basically. Um, yeah, in this country, the judge would have probably said to him, where'd you get that from? And then... I always knew, well, looking back on it now, I think I know who was taking the big lot through and because they were busy, yeah. So it's all, it's all something, yeah, you just, later on all things fit into place and you think, oh yeah, I think I know what was going on there. Um, Yeah, so it is, I I think it's all corruption. But then- Yeah, while they bust the guy who's got the rubbish stuff, the the person behind them with the good stuff walks through. But then again, what was Antonio's rubbish, or was it quite pure? They bashed it, took what they wanted to take out of it, and then put what they wanted to put forward. This, for is, Spain. Every- this is Spain, so mo- I'm going to say most likely. I mean, yeah, most likely. They yeah, love I've- that stuff over there. <laughs> not, well, not all of them, but. And the fact is that the, the people that he was working for were very high up. Mm. Uh, very. And. and and you you do wonder that yeah they took theirs put something else in because fifty percent base cocaine from Colombia I'm sorry but <laughs> obviously no it's it's not washing with me now yeah. um no and um yeah most most of the banged up abroads I have watched on there um yeah that most of the stuff that they bought for you is yeah it, it's it's near on pure coming back from Colombia uh, uh, what so, 
what see there's that thing isn't there that latino men so i'm talking well euro latino so portugal spain they can be really freaking violent can't they oh god yeah 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 and i've i've always said to this day that thank god we didn't get stopped going out of the airport in brazil because i like well i wouldn't be (laughs) no no neither of us would be here for one i don't think we'd have got out of the airport and for two I would. I wouldn't have survived their prisons. Yeah. No. no I meant the um the 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 Latinos, as in the Spanish. <laughs> what I mean is, my my sh- I was on ship for a year, and it, we pulled into Portugal. All right. Okay. Yeah, I know what you're about. We're all yeah. getting rowdy in one of their bars. It was actually a square in Lisbon, in Portugal, and we were. Everyone was start. All the whole ship's company was starting to misbehave, and then. On a queue, when someone actually started to get like fisty cuffy, all the barmen jumped over the bar. They grabbed chains, not axes. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but they were grabbing chains, baseball bats, and they weren't afraid to just plow in and use them. When the police turned up, they didn't. It wasn't like an English copper. So tell me what's happened here. Right. What's your story? None of that. It grabbed you, throw you in a wagon. Yeah. Cart you off. And yeah. there was, and it's even a bit like that in, um, even in Scandinavia. I mean, I've been yeah. stopped by Swedish police, and they're just yeah. fucking horrible, you know. Well, in, I think my first, I I knew about the Tenerife police, the Guardia Civil, and the the, the local police. Yet, I, I I'd heard rumours about the corruption, even when I was a holiday maker over there. But I think my first worst sort of scenario was I was in. Um, one of the nightclubs and yeah it was quite early hours of the morning and two officers walked in with guns on yeah two lines up their nose took a wad of cash and walked out and I looked at them and thought oh and this is what we're up against okay okay got ya so um yeah and th- and then two went out fizzled on the red on cocaine with two guns strapped to them so yeah it was um <laughs> yeah that was my first sort of um yeah so, how so then, it... you know, yeah, I think, yeah, life is going to be quite tough over there. I think that's the only thing that Mars, the islands, all of them, is is the police and the Guadalcanal. It's just the pure corruption that goes on within the walls of the islands that, that will always ruin the life over there. So, because I've always thought, yeah, I'd love to go back. I'd love to go back in there and live because it's it, the island for me was never the issue. It was my lifestyle that was quite a chaotic problem. And then I, I sit back and think, oh, my God, could I cope with all that corruption again? And could I cope with all these problems? And I know the police here aren't exceptionally great sometimes, but at least in our court system, you've got sort of like a legal leg to stand on and you've got a hope in hell a chance of getting somewhere. But, yeah, that frightens me over there still to this day. But but to be fair, the amount of people I've met over the years and the horror stories that I've heard from different countries, yeah, I, I possibly wouldn't travel again if I listened to and took all of them into. <laughs> so, yeah, I think sometimes you have to realise that wrong time, wrong place, really, but the corruption is is rife in mm. most foreign countries, yeah, you, you, especially being an English person. Yeah, it's um, it's vile. Yeah, but I've heard I've got some of the horror stories that I've heard over the years from people I've met. Yeah, it, I, 
I do wonder if I would ever travel again. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's a shame. It's a big shame. Huge, huge shame. Yeah. So, well, Billy's story, isn't it? Billy Moore. Yeah. God, that the beginning of his film, um, or the film that was made about his his book. So, what was it? A, a prayer before dawn. Before dawn, it? yeah. A prayer yeah. before dawn. Friends, if you get a chance to watch Billy's, read Billy's book, or watch the film. Oh my God! In the first ten minutes, it'll make you sick. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. made me feel really, really. Because I think in the justice system throughout the world is quite corrupt. But I think the prison systems are prisons, prison wherever you are. But Thailand is oh, it's totally different. Because I even said to Billy, I don't know how you are. I seriously don't. I, I know that my prison sentence and everybody's prison sentence is different wherever you are in the world. But I just Thailand's just totally off the Richter scale. It, it, mm-hmm. It's another prison sentence within it. So it's like South America as well. You may as well not because they them lot run the inside of the prison, don't they? they it's not it's not actually the guards that look after it, it's the inmates. So yeah. it's literally a prison within the prison walls and then it's run by the prisoners. So I, I'm not sure even if I would have got out of a South American prison, to be honest with you. No, um, but to be, Billy's story, so yeah, it's heart-wrenching. Yeah, some of the things that he had to go through. Yeah. I, but, went, um, to, um, I went to visit a girl in prison. I think I was in Ecuador. And um, what you can do, so friends at home, when you're backpacking around the world, you can go into the, uh, I, I won't even pretend I remember, but there's various services that you can contact them and say, look, I'm, I'm in so-and-so. Are there any British prisoners in, in the local NIC? And they'll give you the names of people that have put their name down to be visited because obviously um, their family's a long way away. Yeah. So, there all was, I think it was Ecuador and very violent place again and lots of people arrested for for drugs uh drug currying and i rocked up there and um you do all the get searched and everything don't you you go in and then i'm sat in this waiting room and this girl come and she went Corey, i was asleep what what who are you and i said i'll come to visit she's like really oh thank you and i bought her a big big like big pack of toilet rolls because apparently yeah. that, that's one of the things that they they really had hard to get and yeah. and she was saying that everything she had she had to hustle for so you got yeah. to start a little business so hers was she got a coffee maker from the co- the consulate bought her a coffee maker then she could make little coffees for people yeah then she bought a bet a mattress with a floor and then she bought a bed and it was like <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I think I think the prison set, it's like in Spain, yeah, the conditions weren't great at all. Um, but they weren't on the level of some of the prisons that people have been in. I think more to the fact that the Spanish, it's the corruption that goes on. Although in in the Spanish prison, um, it, it, I, th- I think it's because of the fact that you're in mixed prisons and it's it's all just a different... It's a different world out there. But, yeah, that we, we had very few and far privileges as such. Um, and most of it, if mum hadn't have had the money to support me, yeah, I think life would have been totally different in the Spanish prison for me. Um, and I couldn't work because I was an English girl, so they wouldn't let me work for my money. Um, and, of course, visits are very few and far between. 
um, and then phone calls and letters and did it. So, yeah, um, although, yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine, and I have seen footage of, obviously, the South American conditions and Thailand, but, um, yeah, it's I, I couldn't even imagine being in prison there, to be honest with you. I, it was bad enough where I was, um, and I... I I, I can't I don't know how anybody gets through them sentences at all, mm. to be honest with you, because it was a struggle to get through mine in the conditions that I was in, let alone what they've been through. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough thinking about it. But I don't I don't try to dwell on that bit of it. At the end of the day, I got through it and yeah, and I'm here to talk to people like you. Yeah. <laughs> what it, it don't don't you don't have to say anything that is gonna like oh, no. Upset you or anything, Terry? But what, no. what was it like when you first had to call your parents then and say, oh. "I'm I'm in a bit of bother." <laughs> the first phone, right? So, I, yeah, I was arrested on Thursday morning, and then I was took to yeah took up to the local police and I, I wouldn't let the consulate phone my mum. You see, because I was an evade. I, I said, no, you're not calling her. Um, because I, obviously I was under the assumption I was going to walk out of there and I wasn't going to have to call them. Um, and um, it wasn't until I got to the prison on the, so when was it, Friday? Friday night time it was. And I remember walking in there and one of the girls in there was from, um, like, was it Norway? Or um, one one of them, and she she was the only one in the prison that spoke English anyway. And she lent me her phone card quickly, and I literally phoned my mum. And I uh, this was six o'clock on a Friday night. Mum, I've been arrested. I'm in Grand Canaria Airport. I need bail money, and I had to put the phone down, and that was it. That's all I had. Oh my god! And I, I, I tried to think what was at the other end here because that was six o'clock Friday night. Everything was shut. No phone calls to be made, and I've just dropped the biggest clangor that they've ever had in their lifetime in three words, and then uh, put the phone down. You imagine? I can't even imagine what they went through at that time. I was bad enough. The fact is that I had to make that little phone call, but you imagine what was happening here, and and they couldn't do anything. They couldn't make any fact. They didn't even know hardly where I really was because I, I just sort of said and they didn't even have been on holiday to South America this was oh my god it was, yeah I do I do actually think about Jesus Christ because Western Union wasn't that easy back then transferring money was quite and yeah it was quite <laughs> yeah hard experience so yeah and of course no consulates was open no this no that I can't even I think mum called John Burko I can't remember I think it was she called the MP and then he made direct and found out where I was. I think this is how it all ricocheted through the weekend. Um, and then and then I think they got the money wired over on the Tuesday morning because obviously, yeah, nothing was open till yeah, so I had to stay in there Did till you then. Get, you got bail then? Yeah, I got bail originally. Yeah, this is where all the problems came in. Because they actually bailed me out of the prison back to Tenerife without a passport. Um, and that's where the justice system system all goes a little bit wrong after that because it's all about this money and it's all about crop solicitors it's all about more money and yeah and you just don't know whether you're coming or going really so, so was 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 jumping bail an option well see when i came out um i've been out what a week and mum flew over and we talked and we talked and we said right we're, we're gonna fight this um so we went to see a solicitor and um 
And then that's when I had the aneurysm, I had the fatal brain hemorrhage on the Friday. So she flew out, I think it was a Sunday, and then on the Friday I got really ill. And then I was in hospital for six weeks, you see. And by that time, I've missed all my deportation orders, I've missed everything. So, and then I was so ill um, that, yeah, that wasn't an option then. It was, it was, I had to stay and I had to fight it. So no, doing a runner at that point was not, not even on the card. And mum sort of said, because mum's a very honest and very um, yeah, woman that she said, look, right, if, if you've done nothing wrong, we're going to fight it. And we're going to fight because obviously we didn't know about the corruption over there. We didn't know about the legal system being so bad. So she, yeah, she said, right, we're, we're going to fight this. We're going to get a good solicitor and we're going to fight it. Yeah, but then I was so ill anyway. Nothing, everything was took out my hands at that point. So, and, nah. and what what was it like then, Terry, when you when the judge said ten years? Oh well, he didn't, right? So this this is another thing. So in England, don't me and you, we go through the airport together. You've got drugs in your suitcase. I've got no drugs in my suitcase, but I'm with you. So we initially would be arrested, and then we'd obviously. I don't even know half the time whether through, through paperwork that I'd be taken to, to, to the, the police cells or I would just be cautioned or maybe, yeah, or given a court date. Um, but you obviously plead guilty and then I plead not guilty. So then you probably stand remand, and but we'd be separated, totally separated. But at this point, I would never see you again and you wouldn't see me, especially at trial. Because then you go for sentencing and then I'd have to go to trial and they'd have to prove that I was involved. And to prove that sort of, it's very difficult in the UK to prove a conspiracy case that you were actually knowingly with, especially if you come up and said, yeah, no, I work for X, Y, Z. These aren't my drugs, but I'm the one carrying them and she had nothing to do with it. It would, boof, that'd be it. Separated, gone. In Tenerife, no, we both go to the court, both sit there. There's no pleas put in. There's no guilty or not guilty. Um, he stood up and talked for an hour, of which I still to this day have no idea what he said because none of it was translated to me. Um, he just kept pointing at me. <laughs> I hope he wasn't saying, yeah, it was all that. Um, so, and then... I think they asked me three or four questions, one of them being, which one's your suitcase, the green one? Oh, the one without the drugs in. Yeah, that's it. And that was it. We got up, we walked out. I went back to Tenerife on my aeroplane. He went back to the prison. Got on the aeroplane. Lawyer's like, oh, oh, yeah, fine. Finished. Over with. You'll be fine. Two days later, we get a phone call from the court. I've been sentenced to 10 years on a phone call with a 76 million peseta fine. And, and and then they, but you're not going to prison yet because you can appeal. And then and then and then it's the next one. And so it was just it, it was the biggest circus of a of a of a court case you'll ever probably yeah. They probably it's quite a few out there, but it is nothing compared to how you would be tried back in the UK. It is absolutely ridiculous. At that yeah. point, then was it not just tempting to? No. But, it, by this time, I was into it. It was that thick of it, that it, and that much media was involved. It wasn't really an option at that time for me to get on a plane and run out. So we just 
we got more lawyers who were corrupt and wanted more money. So mum and dad were like nearly 60 grand deep in debt here. To be honest with you, I've actually got quite a good life over there now because I've got a proper job and proper house. Everything was more normal. It was a normal life. It wasn't the chaotic Veronica's life. It was a nice life. And I liked my life in Tenerife. I'm a little cat. I'm a little house. I was, yeah, loving life again. And at that point, I didn't really want to come home. So it wasn't until um, the year 2000 that we we were just getting quite sick of it all. And then John Burke, um, the MP, John Burko, got a letter from the um, one of the foreign officers, I think, which said in the translation, she was released in 97 on the date with no readmission. So then he said, well, is it not all over? And I said, well, I don't know, because we've heard nothing from the lawyers. I don't know where the appeal's gone. So mum and dad said to me at the Manellium, because they flew out to spend the, that big new year with me. And I'm, I said to them, shall I apply for a new passport? And they said, why not? So I filled all the forms out. They took it home. Week later, what arrives in my mum and dad's doorstep? New passport. Mum said, well, that's it. God, that's be over. So I said, well... I'll come home then. So then um, we, what was it? We, I think it was, we planned to come home in the February. Now I, I sort of knew we were doing something wrong, but we, yeah, it, it was, it was, we didn't know basically. We did think it was all over, but I, half of me knew that it possibly wasn't. So what we did because of the aneurysm, I didn't fly. So what, well, I, I didn't want to fly all the way back to Britain, but then we didn't want to fly all the way back to going through passport control. So what we did was we we went out of Tenerife to Madrid and then got the overnight plane from Madrid to Paris because there's no passport control. And then it was coming through. So we got Paris to Waterloo and it was coming back through Waterloo. So imagine we'd come all this way home, two days travelling, big bump, yeah, loads of bags. And thinking, yeah, walk through Waterloo, little shit, come here, you two. Oh, my God, really? Um, they were adamant me and mum were carrying drugs. Adamant. But little did they know it was me. I was the problem. But they took my passport off twice, checked it, no problem. Because, of course, then there was no major interpol, was there? There was no talking between countries and there was no European arrest warrant at that point. So I wasn't flagging up on their system that I was wanted. So, yeah, they let us throw. But if they'd have checked the bags properly, in one of the bags was um, receipts from Tesco the day before when Mum had bought it off the daily counter. So, yeah, it was hindsight now because I spoke to quite a few people within the prison system about this, what we'd done coming home. And they said, your mum, you put her in such a vulnerable situation because if you'd have been then, she would have been arrested as well. And that carries a huge sentence for carrying a fugitive back into the country. So looking back on it, yeah, it was it was very naughty what we did. It's I'm very um yeah sort of bad of me for putting her into that bad situation, which I didn't think was a bad situation, but could have been really quite for mum um to get me home. But then at that time, I just wanted to come home, and it was a good job that I did come home because in the April my father was diagnosed with cancer, and now looking back on it all. I really don't think I would have coped with that with me being stuck out there. So sometimes things happen for a reason for you to come home. Yeah, and it wasn't until 2003 that they issued the European arrest warrant 
and then they come and arrested me again at home. And this is eight years on, no, yeah, no, six years on from the initial arrest. So yeah, it's been. Um, but I, I, I'll be honest with you, Chris. The the only person I blame for all this fiasco within the legal system was the original judge that bailed me, because if she had never bailed me, I would have run through the the system and maybe have had a better chance of fighting the case within the prison because hopefully well <laughs> you never know Britain might have stepped in a bit more and helped me out because then they could have followed the court cases they could have helped me through the procedures but because this initial judge gave me bail it all went wrong from then on but I, they always say that they think that they give you bail so you'll do a run and go home so yeah. then you're System. But then why why pick me up on a blooming European arrest warrant so many years on and cause all the freaking, yeah, rigmarole again? Because I had to fight a court case here for two and a half years to try and fight my extradition. Because it was all, because I got arrested on under the old warrant. So I mine was the, yeah, mine was the last case in Britain to be done on the, the old warrant. That's why it was thrown up in the court, in the, in the press. Because, um yeah. The new warrant was literally they come to your house, pick you up and throw you out at the airport. And you don't even have a chance to fight the case here anymore. So they wanted to know how I felt. And that's why the media took such a big interest in it. But then then the government didn't help me either. So, so no. how long was it between what happened in the airport, you getting arrested and you actually going and serving your time? That, it's, that sounds like a load I, of years. Yeah. Eight years. It was eight, yeah, eight and a half years. And how many did you have to serve over there? I did. Well, I I went back, back thinking that I'd have to do the full ten. That's when I initially got onto the airplane. That's exactly what I thought I was going to do with the full ten years. So when I stepped foot onto the island, um, uh, Fair Trials International was still following my case, so they helped me to get a fresh lawyer to apply for the pardon because the royal pardon or the indulto as they call it is the last procedure in there when you've rinsed all the court that's the last thing you can apply for it's a bit like in thailand i think with the with the pardoning so i they found me a lawyer which i was very dubious of um getting because of the problems that we'd had previously um but she just won a massive court case through drugs and she got her notch so she was adamant and she she knew she'd win it. So I only saw her the once in the prison and she she was very confident um, because she'd won this initial case um, that she would win mine. So that was fine. It was it was a very small amount compared to all the rest of the money that poor mum had laid out. But I knew it would take a long time to get through. So at that point, I thought, right, I need to go back home again because I need to go on a repack because of the fact that mum... It was too much for mum to visit me over there all the time. And I just wanted to come back to Britain because it was a lot easier. So I applied for the repatriation and um, I served 19 months in Spain and then 19 months back here in the UK. And then I was granted the royal pardon or partial pardon. um, And they dropped my sentence from 10 to six years. So on time served, I got out on the the prison licence. So, yeah, I did about three and a half years in the end and then three, three, three years on licence. So. Jeez, what a bloody rigmarole. I know. <laughs> For something yeah. you didn't do in the first place. That's um, the, how have you come to terms with that injustice, Terry? Um, well, I think over the years is I can't live with, it's like hate 
documentary is that a lot of people say to me, do you hate Antonio? No, I don't hate him because he did what he did. I don't like him a lot, but I don't hate him because it's a bit of a strong emotion. Um, with with what went on with me, it, I, it's, oh, I don't know how to explain it to you. I try not to, uh, yeah, I am very angry with the, the, the legal system, but I can't, I can't live with the anger because it, yeah. yeah, it will eat me up again. And, um, and I've got enough bits of issues to deal with to try and live my life as normal now as I can. Um, yeah. It, but I meet so many people that have had an injustice against them. It's, it's unreal. So I'm not, I'm not the only one and I won't be the only one ever again. Um, because once you think something's all right, it's not all right. <laughs> and once you think you've got on top of something, it and I, I, I won't fight that on my own. Um, I've, I've, I've done lots of um, talks for European lawyers and um, all different um, sort of um, with, with Fair Trials International and Prisoners Abroad. But I remember doing one talk with a lot of European lawyers and I remember a little Spanish girl coming up to me at the end and saying that she tried to be legit, but she had Guardia Seville outside her house. She was threatened. She was this. And she said, how do I fight? good with bad because I'm just fighting every day against a system that has got it up against you so and it is is it, how do, how do they do it how how in a system that is so bad do do you fight 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 it really it's, it, yeah it's, it's quite frustrating really but at the end of the day I've been through what I've been through um and it's made me who I am today um <sighs> It, it, it's been tough. I, I won't deny it. It's been really tough. But then I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people out there with, with stories a lot worse than mine. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, but but it, it's 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 like possibly with you. I only wrote the book is to give people knowledge of what they are letting themselves in for. Um, sometimes knowledge is a better foresee, but then there's always people out there that will be making mistakes and there's always a need for drugs and there's always a need for this and there's always... So there'll always be a need for somebody to be bringing them drugs into the country or somebody to be doing this or somebody to be there, X, Y, Z. Um, and we all know that this is how the world goes. But, yeah, prison's tough. If you're a boy, girl, or whatever, it's 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 tough, basically. Because I know most grown men, it, it, if you don't want to be in prison, yeah, it's it's, it's not it's not a good place. Uh, but. Can we finish then, Terry? Sorry if this is a bit cliche, but what what was it like then when you fought, finally walked out those gates? Uh, well, I didn't look back. They told me never look back, and I didn't. I've, I never look back and I've never looked back. That, that, that was their one advice to me when I walked out of that prison. Don't look back, Terry, and we won't be seeing you again. And I said, no, you won't. <laughs> and um, but it wasn't it, it was it was a bit odd how I was released because they, they got word in the afternoon that my pardon papers are coming. We, I, I had a funny feeling that it wouldn't be long. Um, but yeah, they it was the last thing that that NOMS, the offender management unit, opened up the email in the afternoon. She was going home. 
And then they had to sort all the, the dates out. And I remember my name being called over the tannoy. I'd just been on the phone to my mum, moaning about the fact that nothing had been happening. <laughs> and um, and I thought, oh, my God. And I walked in and the governor was in there. And I thought, oh, my God, get shit out. What have I done wrong? And she said, better go and pack your bags, you're going home. I was like, you're kidding me. I literally run out of there, phoned my mum and screamed at her, mum, mum, I've been released, come and get me. Put the phone down again. And that was it. So from start to finish, she had one phone call in Gran Canaria telling her that I'd been arrested. And then one phone call screaming at her to come and get me because I've been let out. So these two phone calls are very prominent in my sentence. And um, but it didn't sink in because I was released at seven o'clock that night. And I remember coming home here um, because I was under prison license. So I couldn't get involved with the media. Nobody could be told that I'd been released until later on so I come on very quietly and I woke up at five o'clock in the morning and I was walking about the house thinking Jesus is this real and then mum got up as well and it was it was like we dreamt it it was it was it was probably the most surreal moment of my life but then two phone calls are prominent in my life the one to tell her I've been arrested and the one to tell her I've been released and they were literally three or four words screaming out put the phone down <laughs> so yeah it was surreal um but I, I won't deny Chris life life's not been easy since I've been out not at all and um yeah uh, I don't suppose it, it will get much easier for a while but it might calm down one day one day yeah. I might say <laughs> I'd recommend I might... <laughs> I'd recommend to anyone if you're struggling what on, on my YouTube channel, I've got a playlist. One of my playlists called The Commando Coach. And it, it, it's just, I'd recommend anyone struggling, just go and watch it. Binge watch it over a weekend. There's, they're all short videos. We also have a life coaching group on Facebook called, um, if you just go Facebook forward slash groups, sorry, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Chris Thrall. And we just have a very positive, happy group on Facebook. We don't let any mainstream nonsense into it. No, so you're not going to see anything about, um, you know, what's been on the news or anything like that because we don't believe we don't believe in watching it. And people are positive. We 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 get up in the morning. We smile at the sun to say thank you for our lives. We jog around the block or walk around the block or cycle or whatever. We have a green smoothie at lunchtime because it makes us feel mental <laughs> in a good way. Good way. <laughs> and, and we always take action every day towards our perfect future. And when we're not feeling it, that's fine. We sit on the couch and we, we have a chill day, two days, week, month, whatever it takes to get us back. And um, these simple philosophies, Terry, have, have really helped a lot of people. Um, yeah. You know, we, we've got people recovering from some very nasty illnesses and stuff. And, <laughs> and, and, and a lot of them have never heard of things like alkaline diet and, and, and you know, yeah. showing gratitude for life, which is, a you know, which, you, which you've done. When, when you say there's always people that got it worse, that's being grateful, isn't it, for, yeah. for what yeah. we've got. So anyway, you're more than welcome to, to, to join us there. Yeah. Um, what what does the future hold? And your book is Passport to Hell. I'm looking at it now. I'll I'll put a link below, folks. Very well written. So 
There we go. <laughs> um, so at the moment, um, obviously, I want to get through this little blip in our lives again. And then hopefully life might come back to some sort of normality, whatever normal is. Um, and we are in talks at the moment and have been for quite a few years about putting this on the big screen. Um, and um, yeah, and that is something that I'd like to happen. I think that um, there's a lot of um, messages to come out in it. Um, and it's got the rave scene and yeah, it's got all, all the issues that I went through. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite hopeful that it will happen. Um, that's been my dream that one day somebody would pick up on it. Um, I've always been told that I'll write another book, um, but I'm not sure what the content will be, but they said I'm not to think too much about it because it will just happen. Um, so yeah, it possibly, but I think there's a book in everybody, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I think everybody could sit down and write a book. Um, but um, yeah, and and to be to be as free as possible, really. So and to be free of this again. So yeah, I just want my freedom back. Um because I fought so long to get it, and now it's been took away from me again. So yeah, I just want us all to be free again. Yeah. So it would be nice to to have our lives back because yeah, possibly if we we ever took this interview what a couple of years back, we wouldn't be talking sort of on on the line that we would have gone on to because of the fact is that our lives wouldn't have happened or this wouldn't have happened to us. But yeah, it's um. I'm I'm hopeful that yeah that will come off and I'm I, I I like to not get too excited about it just in case it doesn't but yeah I am I'm quite secretly very excited about the prospects of this going on to mm. yeah different different options and different avenues so um but um but life's just a little bit quieter for me I just get up every day go to work I'm a little cleaner at the moment I do what I love because I've got OCD, so I love it. <laughs> it's about the best cleaner in the whole world. And, um, and yeah, I just um, am thankful, like you, every day that I get out, the sun's, well, sort of out, and then I wake up and I've still got my life intact. So, yes, um, it's quite easy that, yes. Yeah, and people can find you on in Instagram. Is that the best way? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and and Twitter. So, yeah, I'm, I'm out and about sitting on them. And, um yeah, and I'll answer any sort of sort of questions that anybody has regarding all different issues that have been brought up on this and in the book. So, and sometimes with like my sort of mental health issues with the panic attacks and everything, and and um, sometimes I just like to talk to people, um, and because it, it is good to talk. Yeah, um, I find that a lot of the time when I was suffering with the panic disorder when I come out of prison, I didn't talk to anybody, I didn't tell anybody about it. And that's when I suffered the most. But now when I feel quite sort of down, I'll go and talk to my mum, tell her what's going on. And then, yeah, my mood sort of lifts a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's always good to keep your friends around you and talk. Yes. So Definitely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Terry, stay on the line because I'm going to hit the record button off. I just will thank, thank you personally. Um, so, so I will thank you now for the purpose of the camera terry you're absolutely lovely please don't go, don't go changing um no. i'm so glad that you've come through what you have and um you've your 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 head's in the right direction for a very bright future uh, thank, you, thank you for coming on the podcast 
yeah thank you for having me oh no yeah and anytime you want to come back maybe our our subscribers have got some questions they want to ask we could do a live a live yeah. chat on youtube and they can put us questions in the chat that would be yeah, that's fine that it's, would be nice so thank yeah. you again yeah and to everybody at home massive love to you all please yeah. look after each other and we'll see you next time yeah thank you hi everyone Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.